the great fundamental issue now before our people can be stated. It is, are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control them? I believe they are. My opponents do not. edition of The Right Take. I'm Eric Lendrum, here with my co-host Jacob Grandstaff, and we've got a special surprise here for you guys, uh, uh, something that we have only done a couple times now, or at least one full-length episode on this, when we do the occasional movie review. We always talk about how important culture is and what is a greater symbol of American culture these days or throughout previous decades than movies. We previously did a review of the Elvis biopic, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, Jacob thought was uh, he didn't think it was as good as I did, but we both agreed eh, it could have been better. It could have done a little more justice to the true history of Elvis, but it wasn't bad overall. Certainly was great as a musical, which is really all anybody ever wanted it to be. But now we are going to review a political movie. Jacob, what did one of our viewers say about our previous review that we did for Elvis? So we received a message from John Andrew who wrote, TRT's review on Top Gun was so spot on that I waited for TRT's view on Elvis before purchasing tickets to the theater for my wife, me, and my in-laws to go see. 
After TRT's review, I decided it wouldn't be worth the $30 plus movie tickets. I decided to wait till it comes out on streaming platforms to watch Elvis. I even told my wife, let's see what Eric and Jacob say about it first before we decide to spend $30 plus at the movies. My wife is happy with both decisions we made based on TRT's movie commentary. So, hey, we're glad that we were able to make John Andrew and his wife happy with our movie reviews. And uh, hopefully you get a lot out of this review as well. This is, again, a fairly important political movie we are reviewing here. Of course, we did a kind of a brief review of Top Gun, which was an amazing movie. It's the biggest movie of the year 2022, one of the biggest blockbusters of all time. And for good reason, I wrote an article, a more in-depth review at American Greatness for that. Um, but this movie is one that's kind of been making the rounds on conservative media. And you will know why. For those of you who don't know already, we are about to explain. Uh, when we say the name of the movie, you should know. It's the movie called My Son Hunter. It's being distributed by Breitbart, you know, who are getting into the movie game now. You're looking at all these people who are getting into movies, whether it's uh, The Daily Wire with all their movies. Um, you have these, of course, the documentaries by Dinesh D'Souza. Now Breitbart's getting it on the game. They're distributing this movie, which was produced by Phelan McAleer and Anne McElhinney, a uh, husband and wife team, an Irish uh, couple of filmmakers who have done conservative movies before. They had did a number of documentaries, mostly uh, on global warming. They did an anti-Al Gore movie. They did a uh, um, couple movies on the merits of fracking and natural gas. They did previously, four years ago in 2018, they did another attempt at a uh, fictional or dramatized, I should say, dramatized movie portrayal of a political case. That was, quote, uh, it was titled Gosnell, The Trial of America's Biggest Serial Killer. That, of course, is in reference to the horrible evil human being who is Kermit Gosnell, the uh, quack physician who performed a lot of uh, back alley abortions, uh, well over 200 babies killed in the most like brutal, horrible ways by this man. He was ultimately convicted of first degree murder, three counts of first degree murder for the killing of infants that were born alive in his clinic, as it were. He dared to call it a clinic, just, you know, like Al Sharpton dares to call himself a reverend. And he, of course, is rotting away in jail now, as he should be, life without possibility of parole. But they did that movie. Um, they were the producers and writers of that movie. And it was directed by Nick Searcy, a, a prominent conservative actor, who also had a role in the movie. So then this movie, My Son Hunter, is directed by Robert Davi, who is a great actor. If you're familiar with action movies in, like, the late 80s, early 90s, he more most often plays villains and occasionally authority figures. He was one of the villains in The Goonies. Uh, that's a movie I, I saw a long time ago as a kid. I have not seen it recently. And then he had a string three years back to back, a string of great movies. In 1988, he was one of the two FBI agents in Die Hard, uh, Agent Johnson and Agent Johnson, who, of course, uh, turns out he, his character turns out to be a Vietnam veteran. You know, famously, they're flying the helicopters in and out of the skyscrapers in L.A. heading to the Nakatomi Plaza. And he's got a machine gun. And he's just like, yeah. Just like Saigon, eh, Slick? It's just like great fun moment. Um, and then the following year, he was in 1989, he was in the James Bond movie License to Kill, where he was the main villain, Franz Sanchez, a ruthless Latin American drug lord, one of the best villains in Bond history, in one of the best movies in the Bond franchise, in my humble opinion, as an aficionado for James Bond movies that I am. And then the following year, 1990, he was a good guy. He was a police chief in Predator 2, which uh, does not get a lot of credit, I think. Of course, it's not nearly as good as the first Predator, but it is a decent follow-up with Danny Glover. Uh, Gary Busey's in that movie. It's so great, so great. But yeah, Robert Davi, known for playing tough guys, he is also a conservative actor and a singer as well, in addition to being an actor, but he is conservative. So he is the director of this movie. And so with those, with those titles going into, you know, the making of the movie, 
You then also look at the actors who are involved in this movie. So the star of the movie is Lawrence Fox, who plays Hunter Biden. He is a British actor who has been very outspoken. He was especially critical of the Black Lives Matter riots, you know, the, the narrative about George Floyd. And he actually ran, I forgot about this, he ran for mayor of London in 2021. He came in sixth place with about 2% of the vote, but he's been very prominent in conservative activism since then. You have a guy named John James playing Joe Biden. No, not the John James who's running for Congress in Michigan. Um, I've never really heard of him before, never seen him in anything. Gina Carano was in this movie for a shorter amount of time than most people probably expected, but please, she plays a Secret Service agent, which, to her credit, that's a believable role. You absolutely could picture. There are very few women who could be a Secret Service agent, but Gina Carano is definitely one of them. Um, she serves as kind of a narrator of the movie at some points, in, in and out, but the main POV character of the movie is a, a stripper named— her stage name is Kitty. Her real name is revealed to be Grace Anderson. She's played by Emma Djokovic. And she's the primary POV character that, of course, she ends up hooking up with Hunter and learning, you know, directly and indirectly from him about all the various foreign shady business deals that he was involved in uh, while his father was vice president. The movie takes place. We'll start off now with the uh, the intro of the movie. If we're going to get into the plot here, the movie starts off with the title card saying uh, December 2019. And it's a Black Lives Matter riot. And, you know, there's there's fires everywhere. You know, windows being smashed. They're you know doing all their BLM chants. And there's um, news coverage, the fake news act, news anchor with generic uh, on-screen graphics. It's not actual real news coverage. Because, again, this is 2019. This was the first thing we noticed, Jacob. This is not during the height of the actual race riots in 2020. This was December 2019. George Floyd hadn't died of his fentanyl overdose yet. You know, there wasn't uh, – there weren't really any riots going on, I don't think. I mean, the most recent riots before that were Baltimore, and those were restricted to Baltimore. So they have this riot and these this generic uh, news anchor with, you know, generic uh, chirons and graphics on screen. And then there's a reporter on the ground covering it. And the chiron literally says mostly peaceful BLM protests, which is obviously a reference to the time that a CNN reporter in Minneapolis in like May or June of 2020 was standing literally in front of a giant burning building saying uh, these are mostly peaceful protests. The chiron didn't actually say that, but it was. Or actually, no, I take it back. Sienna did have a Chiron that said that. The Chiron did explicitly say fiery, but mostly peaceful. So why they didn't just show that footage, I don't know. I mean, that speaks for itself. When you see it's actually CNN, that speaks for itself. But they, again, for the timing, I guess, we'll come back to why this is set in 2019. Uh, two women are then seen uh, breaking away from the violence. And one of them, a blonde woman, is holding her phone and saying "Oh, to her friend, oh, look, check it out. I got this video. And I'm going to post this. It's going to go viral. And the friend looks at it and she's like, Oh, no, 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 sweetie, you can't post that. It, it, it's all violence. It makes us look bad. And she's like, but that's what everybody's doing. I'm just filming what happened. What do you mean? And she's like, no, we've got we've to present ourselves as peaceful. She's like, but we're literally burning things down. And she's like, no, 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 it, you don't understand. It's about the message. We've got to look peaceful. And then her friend is like, so she chooses not to post the video. So she's just like, okay, whatever. Uh, I got to go to work now. See ya. So... It seems to be kind of a non sequitur. I was watching it with you, Jacob. We we were watching it together. You and I, um, we were both pretty confused at like what this had anything to do with what comes after. Uh, but you read a review from Slate that seems to connect the dots here. Uh, maybe it's just because admittedly it was at night and they're wearing hoodies and everything. It's kind of hard to see who they are. The blonde girl is then turns out to be a stripper at a uh, a nightclub. And because this is I believe this is set in Los Angeles, um, this particular where this nightclub is, um, she's rolled out as like the next stripper, you know, welcome. You know, the hostess comes out and says, welcome to the, our newest member, Kitty. So she comes out and does her dance and everything. And of course, among the crowd 
is Hunter Biden, played by Lawrence Fox. Uh, he's introduced with a kind of a Goodfellas-style long tracking shot that's behind him as he, you know, pulls up to the club and walks in, you know, has his guards with him, and he weaves his way through the main dance floor and goes to the VIP room in the back. And, of course, he has, like, all these various dancers coming up to try to, you know, seduce him and whatnot. Um, and that brings us to another thing, of course, uh, Jacob and you and I can agree. Lawrence Fox doesn't really look like Hunter Biden, does he? I... I think he looks a little bit closer to Hunter Biden than I think you you do you agree. I, I think he does actually favor him a little bit. A little. He he doesn't really have the beard like that Hunter Biden had. I mean, a little slight little bit of five o'clock shadow. But I mean, he doesn't. I mean, you kind of get into the role. You're convinced enough. If it's kind of like say um, when Anthony Hopkins played Richard Nixon in the biopic Nixon by Oliver Stone, which is an excellent movie by mm -hmm. the way. I think it's the greatest biopic ever made. No, he doesn't really look like Nixon at all. But you know, you kind of get at a certain point. This isn't really. Anthony Hopkins trying to be a Nixon clone. This is, I am Anthony Hopkins. This is my depiction of Nixon. You know, it, it wasn't as, and it's the same with Lawrence Fox. He He's like, I'm Lawrence Fox and I am playing Hunter Biden. Um, every now and then. I, I think if he did grow out a beard, it, he would look a lot closer to Hunter Biden. Yes. If he went the full beard, it definitely would have looked more convincing. He's, he's got about the right build and everything, but it just, yeah, it was, that took a little getting used to. Um, and this will be kind of a recurring theme once, especially when we talk about the actor who plays Joe Biden, but you get into the performance mostly because Lawrence Fox is a good actor. He does give a good performance. That's definitely one of the highlights of the movie. One of the things we can praise for sure is his performance as Hunter Biden. Uh, on that same note, kind of going into it. So, of course, he's continuing. He's at this party uh, in this VIP room. And then later he says, OK, I've just been informed. Like the guards show up, uh, presumably the Secret Service agents. They show up and he's like, OK, sorry, guys, we got we got to move to like a, another location. So they go to either a really large suite at a nice hotel or maybe a rented out villa. I'm not entirely sure. And he brings a whole bunch of, you know, strippers and prostitutes and a bunch of other friends, friends, quote unquote. And there's drinks and drugs and there's sex and all kinds of stuff. And. This is where we get into the next part, the next thing that absolutely should be praised, but especially between the opening strip club scene and then the party scene right after. The cinematography in this movie is really good. They did a great job making the movie look good and capturing certainly all the flashing lights and the cool shots and the silhouettes and whatnot and, and the spotlight effects and everything. That's very well done. It absolutely captures both for people who understand why that lifestyle is appealing, it captures how like fun, quote unquote, it is and how it is very lively and fast paced. But then also, of course, to people who don't approve of that lifestyle, it captures just how crazy it is. The cinematography is very well done. And that, of course, it definitely is attributed to Robert Davi's uh, style as a director. He does a good job visually telling the story. He's great there and complimenting Lawrence Fox's performance as Hunter Biden, which is a good performance. And we'll get into that in just a bit. So he wakes up the next morning, obviously, you know, probably the nastiest hangover you've ever had. And he's surrounded by all the other partiers who are just passed out. You know, all these these naked bodies sprawled out all over the place with a bunch of, you know, uh, empty bottles of alcohol and drug paraphernalia and everything just all over the place. And, and he just kind of walks around for a while, just like, you know, looking at the, the destruction and the mayhem caused by the previous night. And this... Oh, we, we've got it. We've got to talk about this, guys. This leads to easily the weirdest scene in the movie. And it's early on, too, which is not a good sign. We've got to talk about the subsequent Chihuahua scene. Now, most of you may be thinking, a Chihuahua scene in a movie about Hunter Biden. Where's he going with this? Everything I have to tell you is true. You know, the line, the line between, you know, fantasy and reality is about to become very, very blurred. But everything I'm about to tell you is true. There, a, a thought bubble, cartoon, a cartoony graphic of a thought bubble appears on screen 
with written words in it that says, hey, Hunter, over here. Not spoken dialogue, written words, which that's another problem for me personally is obviously this movie goes for some uh, exposition being on screen in the form of just written words that's not spoken. So the audience reads it. And there are plenty of movies that do that. But that should only real. That's the first problem right there. That should only be limited to key exposition that is crucial to the plot or in this case, crucial to the facts of the case. This is none of those things. This scene has nothing to do with the plot of the movie, but it that just makes it even worse. So Thought Bubble, hey, Hunter over here. And Hunter, Hunter just like drunkenly staggers over and sitting in a chair in the corner of the room. Again, everybody else in the room is passed out. There's one person who's awake and it's this obviously gay guy in like tight white pants, a tight white shirt, flamboyantly gay hair, makeup, lipstick, everything. He looks kind of like J. Edgar Hoover's lover, the, uh, the 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 pool cleaner boy who had an affair with J. Edgar Hoover back in the day. Um, and he has a chihuahua on his lap. And the gay guy just sits there, doesn't say a word. He just looks at Hunter silently. But very quickly, they establish that the thought bubbles are coming from the chihuahua, as it were. So Hunter kneels down, and they proceed to have a silent conversation, again, in written words on screen in these thought bubble images. Uh, and the dog, the chihuahua, tells him, like, hey, Hunter, these people really aren't your friends. Hunter, I know. The dog they just want you for your money and, and the connections you have. Hunter, I know. The dog, well, I'm your friend, Hunter. You can trust me. You should get rid of these people. And Hunter's like, okay, I'll do that. And this, of course, leads to him having uh, an outburst, of course, where he, he steps back up and steps away from the gay guy and the chihuahua. And then he just screams out, all right, get out, you freeloaders, get out, all of you, get out, I want you gone, party's over, go, go, and of course, everybody wakes up, you know, as, as if it's that easy to wake some people up from hanging over from drunken sleep, and they all just get up and, and clear their things and get out, so my problem I have with this, multiple problems I have with this scene, again, it's early in the movie, and it's super weird, and right off the bat, it kind of throws the whole tone of the movie off, at least for the first half of this movie, we'll come back to the differences between the first and the second half later, the fact, uh, every, right, the moment this cartoonish thought bubble graphic appears on screen with silent words, again, not spoken, silent words, arguably it would have been cornier if it was spoken dialogue, but at least you won't, don't have the audience trying to read this conversation, which, of course, again, has nothing to do with the plot. All it does is set up for Hunter to have this outburst, and you didn't need that. You don't need to have him have this conversation with this chihuahua on a gay guy's lap for him to do that. You could easily, the, the tact of the time honor tradition of, of storytelling show don't tell you could just have hunter will continue walking around the chaos of the aftermath of the party again a long tracking shot behind him you know occasionally cutting to you know just his face as he just looks around you just show all the, the madness all the naked people all the, the drugs and the alcohol everywhere and it's dead silent and the party's over and he just walks around staggers a bit you could have him eventually like clutching his head and squeezing his eyes shut and the camera shakes a bit and then he just screams and you would know without a word of dialogue being spoken that it just kind of got to him. He just looks around, obviously, you know, again, probably hungover, but still more sober than he was the previous night, just kind of realizing, yeah, this is this is a mess. What am I doing here? I, I don't like it here anymore. You could have that without this conversation. And that leads to the other problem. Is this conversation even real? Because, of course, he steps up when he finishes talking to the chihuahua, talking, quote unquote, he steps up and backs up out of the shot so that the, the camera, the gay guy and the chihuahua just move out of the shot. There's no moment where, like, you know, it cuts between him and the guy in the chair and the chihuahua, cuts back to him, then it cuts back to the chair being empty or something. There's no confirmation. It's strongly suggested this is a hallucination, but it's not confirmed. And that leads to yet another style problem with this scene. Again, this early in the movie, 
you absolutely could have a story like this, certainly about a character who's just hopelessly addicted to drugs and alcohol. You could have that element of the story where he's questioning his reality, where some stuff he's not even sure if it's real or if it's a drug and crack induced dream or hallucination. You could have that. And certainly that can tell really compelling stories, you know, psychological thriller, psychological drama, or even psychological horror stories. But in a movie like this about the Biden family through Hunter Biden's eyes, that's trying to tell you the truth and the facts about these scandals and these deals, the last thing you want is your audience questioning the reality of what's being done. Like Unreliable narrators, American Psycho, again, they can make for great storytelling because the audience doesn't know what's real and what's not. But in this case, that is not what you want. So it's a completely unnecessary scene. It contributes nothing to the plot. It throws off the tone and the style of the movie. It's so out of nowhere and then ends just so suddenly you just keep looking back like, what in the world was that? And again, the fact that it is early in the movie, it starts off on a fairly bad note. You know, it has the audience kind of wondering, okay, what kind of movie are we watching here? What are they going for here? It's just all around. It's really weird. It's corny. It's cheesy. It's unnecessary. And to me, it epitomizes all of the major problems with the first half of the movie. So then he's alone. Um, he eventually ends up talking to this, the one stripper who stays, who is Kitty, again, the girl from the opening, who I guess he really bonds with her. And uh, decides just kind of just to keep her around. You know, he's like, oh, I really like you. You can stay. So they talk for a bit. And one thing leads to another. And eventually he kind of opens up to her about all of his troubles. He talks about, of course, the real life story about how when he was a kid, he and his brother were in a car crash in which his mother and his sister were killed uh, when they were little. And how he and his brother ultimately survived with, of course, uh, scarred for life, obviously, emotional trauma. And he talks about, of course, how... His older brother was, you know, the favorite son. He was the one who was successful. He was destined to to do great things and to live up to his father's expectations. He doesn't tell her at this point. He doesn't say who he is. He doesn't say his name or anything, but he just says, you know, he mentions his older brother's name is Bo, but that's about it. So you can understand how she might not recognize him. She might not. Certainly she's not politically in tune. Again, this is 2019. She might not know who he is. So he talks about, he openly talks about how, you know, um, my older brother was supposed to be the successful one, but he died of a brain tumor. And then one thing after another happened, I ended up having an affair with his widow. And she's, uh, the girl's finished. She's like, how could you sleep with your dead brother's widow? And he, he's like, I don't know. She was the only one who understood what I was going through. We understood each other. You know, it just happens. So he justifies it in his mind. And of course, she's naturally disgusted, but he just moves on. And he eventually does kind of have a breakdown. And he's just like, you know, I'm a failure. I'm a complete failure. You know, my brother... Uh, I can never live up to what my brother was supposed to do. And it's very emotional, and it is too—this uh, is another credit for the movie. They do work to humanize Hunter Biden. They could have just gone the red meat route of just mercilessly attacking him, making him out to be a horrible human being, disgusting, reprehensible person. You shouldn't feel sorry for this man. But no, they show those moments of vulnerability, and again, with Lawrence Fox's performance— they make you feel bad for him when you realize the situation he's been in. You know, his mother and sister are dead. His older brother is dead. At one point, the line he says where he's like, I'm all that my father has left of my mother. You know, all my other siblings are dead. And my dad remarried, but I'm all he has left of the original family, and I'm a failure. And all I want to do is make him proud. So she feels sad for him. He eventually leaves. This is when Secret Service agents come in, and uh, Gina Carano is one of them. And she's like, sir, we're going to need you to come with us. And the girl's like, who are these people? Who are these people? You know, like she probably thinks he's being abducted by a cartel or something. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'll be right back. So he goes out to the driveway and meets, uh, there's a whole bunch of black SUVs there. He meets with his father, Joe Biden, and the stripper follows and watches through the bushes, and she's like, holy, sh 
that's Joe Biden. She looks at the camera and is like, my life just got a whole lot more interesting. Because <laughs> th that's <laughs> one of the things stylistically. There's a lot of fourth wall breaks in this movie. Uh, to backtrack a little bit here, Robert Davi in interviews, the director, has said that he considers the film to be, he drew upon inspiration from the movies American Hustle and The Wolf of Wall Street, which are crime movies kind of in the style of comedy drama or black comedy. So a lot of fourth wall breaking, kind of tongue-in-cheek humor as the a more humorous backdrop to, of course, the more serious content of the subtext of the, the crimes that are being committed here, serious financial crimes and whatnot. And, of course, I've seen Wolf of Wall Street. It's a Martin Scorsese movie. I love it. Leo DiCaprio's great in it. Jonah Hill is great in it. Um, and, Jacob, you mentioned you read a review, again, referring to the review from Slate, that compared the movie to uh, Vice, the movie Vice by Adam McKay, starring Christian Bale. Vice and the Big Short. Vice and the Big Short, yeah. I, I, neither of us have seen the Big Short, but I did see Vice, which is a movie about Dick Cheney with Christian Bale as Dick Cheney, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, all, and obviously, if you go into a movie like that, you know it's going to bash Dick Cheney and it's going to bash the Republicans. Of course it's going to do that. So if you go in with that expectation— then you can enjoy the movie for what it was for Bale's performance, which I thought was good, and the prosthetics and everything. They definitely did a good job making him look like Cheney, and he did a decent job at the at the Cheney voice. Even you believed you were yeah, watching Dick Cheney. Yeah, in that situation, you have to create it in such a way to where fans of Dick Cheney can walk out of the theater having been amused. And it's the same way with this one. Yeah, like the goal should be people who don't believe in any of the Hunter Biden, Biden stuff can go in and watch the movie and walk away feeling entertained. Exactly. So then back to the story here. Of course, we cut. This is the crucial scene. He meets his father, and the stripper realizes who he is. And they get into an SUV together, and they just sit in the driveway there. They just sit in the driveway, and Joe basically tells Hunter, he's like, you do know that your freaking laptop was, you know, is in the possession of the FBI, right? How the hell could you let this happen? And Hunter's just like, what? What are you talking about? Like, this is Hunter learning, uh-oh, my laptop is in the hands of the feds, and there's a lot on that laptop. So Joe is asking him, like, you know, tell me everything that is on that laptop right now. I'm running for president. I need to know what is on that laptop that could compromise us. And this is where, of course, we meet Joe Biden. The actor who plays him, this certainly you can argue maybe Lawrence Fox looks like Hunter Biden. This guy doesn't really do a convincing job as Joe Biden. He's got the hair, obviously. He's older, but he's definitely on the slightly overweight side. And there's a Biden's a lot of things. He's not fat. So that right there kind of throws you out of uh, the movie a little bit. And this is something uh, we talked about, Jacob. He is too coherent in this movie. Joe Biden is – this is 2019, so still clearly in the later stages of the dementia he has, whatever condition he has. He He's very coherent through the whole thing. He talks very clearly and plainly. He comes across less as Joe Biden and more like a House of Cards character, like a villain – a rival politician that Kevin Spacey would be going up against in that show. There's one part, there's one part that I felt hinted at the dementia that I thought worked. And if there were more moments like this, it would have been great. There's a part where Joe Biden, you know, turns to Hunter and says, uh, son, you've got to tell me if there's anything on that laptop that can ruin my erection. And Hunter just looks at him. Why? Not? Like, <laughs> what, what did you just say? And Joe keeps talking, like not acknowledging what he just said. If there were more moments like that to hint at his dementia, you don't even have to be open and obvious about it for Hunter to say something like, dad, or is something wrong? Do you need medication or something like nothing like that? If it was just these subtle lines where like Joe is talking and just kind of forgets where, what he's saying and like stammers awkwardly. And it's like, oh, what, what was I saying? Like if there were little moments like that, that would have been really clever. I thought that would have been great. But no, other than that one There's line. There's also the quid pro quo. He said what quid pro crow. Qu quick pro crow or something quick like pro that. Crow, yeah. yeah. They touch on all the uh, Bidenisms in this movie. Like both Hunter and Joe frequently in the movie say the phrase, come on, man. They say that a lot. 
Biden says malarkey. He says dogface pony soldier. He references corn pop, like all the all the, the Biden's best hits of like the weirdest things he said. They make appearances in this movie in the dialogue, and it feels a little forced sometimes, but you kind of got to throw that in there for the base, I guess. That's a little bit of red meat. But then what follows when Hunter is talking to his dad, this is about the first half of the movie or so, is uh, he's talking to his dad in the SUV and he's telling him about everything that's on the laptop. And here's where it starts like jumping back and forth, back and forth between them in the car and reenactments of the business dealing scenes with Gina Carano providing some narration um, saying like, uh, and really, she talks to the camera and this is pretty funny. She says, you know, we Secret Service agents all signed an NDA so I could go to prison for what I'm about to tell you. But I'm a fictional character, so who cares? So I'm just like, again, little bits like that is funny. So she's kind of narrating the exposition of the business deals, mostly focusing on Ukraine, uh, especially, of course, the firing of the prosecutor general there, Victor Shokin, the whole, all the Burisma stuff. But it jumps so wildly back and forth. It feels, I don't know, kind of inconsistent. Like it's, it's, you know, it jerks you back and forth between these two different settings and different tones and different styles. You have, of course, Gina Carano's straightforward narration. You have occasional, like, funnier, funnier moments, quote-unquote, like some of the dialogue between uh, Hunter and the Ukrainian uh, oligarchs and whatnot, but it just it kind of can't tell what it wants to be in terms of its execution, and this culminates, I think, Jacob, we'd agree. The one scene that has us just sitting there like, what is happening? Why is this happening? Is where Joe and Hunter are standing face-to-face in, like, a dark room, and Joe is like, you're sure that, like, none of these deals can be linked back to me, Right. And Hunter's like, no, dad, I, I never referenced you by name. We're all good. And then he tells him, like, we just secured another well, 3.8 million or something. And Joe's just like, awesome. Or he doesn't say awesome, but Joe's just like approvingly like, yes, good job. And then there's like a couple of strippers and a couple of Secret Service agents behind them. And then they all start dancing, like rave lights randomly flashing and money raining down around them. And I'm just like, why is this happening? This is it, it's obviously a great shot for the trailer but in the context of the movie it's like so many movies these days cheap movies action movies by the dozen that make certain scenes and certain shots just so they can put it in the trailer and you can tell this is one of the scenes that was made for the trailer um it it felt a little jar again for the average person who hasn't followed along with this hunter biden stuff you've got to keep in mind how much of this was suppressed by social media jacob how much of this as you argued if the media hadn't suppressed this more people would have known about it in 2020 and biden wouldn't have been president Well, let's even think about the base. The average Republican viewer who's watching this, they have some murky details about what uh, what Hunter did. They know he was in Ukraine. They know he was in business deals with Chinese communists. Other than that, they don't really know the details. So a lot of it, they're not coming at this having even read the New York Post story. Exactly. So and that, of course, is the part where they do have scenes where they name certain oligarchs and their name appears on the screen in like a freeze frame or something, which is something a lot of movies do. So that's not, that's not uncommon. That's a good tactic for this style of movie they're going for. They name Ukrainian oligarchs. They talk about Devin Archer, Hunter's business partner, who he basically threw him under the bus to save his own skin. And he got like a year in prison or something like that. Um, So they, they do that. But again, the jerking back and forth between the different settings and the different tones and different styles. Like it's, you know, one scene is like Hunter meeting with the oligarchs in Kiev. And another scene is Hunter and those same oligarchs, uh, having sex with prostitutes at the same time in the same room. And it's just like, uh, okay. Like, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I wanted to like it. I wanted to follow it, but from purely from a filmmaking standpoint, again, the practical, the, the visual effects of this movie, again, the cinematography is great. Robert Davi is a great director. Lawrence Fox gives a good performance. This boils down to the writing. I think the writing could have been better. The, the, the script, certainly some of the dialogue could have been a lot better. And this whole first half just feels like a very weird 
incoherent fever dream, which, I mean, if they were going for this is just what Hunter's like whenever he's on crack, that would have been one thing. But it doesn't do the best job at giving you all the information you should have in a manner that's easy to follow. This changes, of course, when um, the, at the certain point in the movie, about halfway through, uh, Joe suddenly gets news that Trump's first impeachment is about to commence because that's why this is late 2019 going in early 2020 because, of course, the first impeachment over all the Ukraine stuff. So Joe is celebrating like, yes, like he's going to be impeached. Good work. Good work. This will take all the heat off of us. You're good. You're good. So then Hunter goes back into the house. Oh, during this time, this is what we also need to talk about. During the time when he's in the car with Joe, it kind of shifts between Joe and Hunter talking, Gina Carano narrating, and then back in the house, the stripper has gone back into the house. Kitty, she's gone back into the house. She pulls out her iPad. And once she realizes who he is, she starts looking him up. It's like Hunter Biden uh, scandal, you know, because she, she knows some of the stuff he told her. And she's like, now that I know who he is, I'm going to look this up. And, of course, the Google search results don't have anything bad about him. So then the bouncer, a guy named Tyrone, comes up to her, and she's just like, Yo, you know who that is? And he's like, yeah, I know. That's Hunter Biden. And then this bouncer does a lot of the exposition, like, very clear in, like, a very articulate manner the details of some of the Ukrainian business dealings. Like, he knows the names of some of the oligarchs and the amounts of money involved. And it's a little hard to believe that this random bouncer at, like, an L.A. Uh, hotel or villa or whatever it is working for a strip club, that he's going to know these details and he's going to be the source of exposition. Like, they would have just better been better keeping it with Gina Carano at that point. That was a little hard to believe. Again, this stripper and this, this bouncer, Tyrone, are just sitting on the floor looking at the iPad and he's giving the exposition. That was a little... I'm like, all right, we didn't really need that character. You want to have more Gina Carano in your movie. You should let her do more of the narrations because they make a big deal that Gina Carano's in this movie because, of course, she's doing movies with the Daily Wire as well. She's not in the movie as much. She doesn't have as much dialogue as she should. But that was another thing that was kind of suspension of disbelief, a little hard to follow. But anyway, so back to the plot. He comes back into the house and he talks to the stripper again. And she now knows who she is, but she's playing along and she doesn't know who she is. So she mentions at one point, she's like, or he says, oh, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble. I've got to get out ahead of this. Like now that he knows his laptop's about to be revealed. And she says, oh, well, my daddy's actually a lawyer. Like he taught me some stuff about like handling uh, when, you know, charges are about to come out against you. He taught me a thing or two about how you handle it publicly, like from a PR standpoint. Uh, and she throws in a line about how like, or he's like, are you, you still talk to your dad often? And she's like, no, we don't have a good relationship anymore, but I know things he taught me. So that comes into play later. So. She uh, offers, is like, I can help you. I can give you advice. Just tell me more. Tell me more. So then he starts telling her about the various business deals, and it shifts to China at this point. It shifts to all the Chinese business deals. And from this point, I think the movie gets significantly better. When it's him telling the story to the stripper, you know, the bouncer's out of the scene, Gina Carano's out of the scene. It's just these two. Then Joe Biden's out of the scene. It gets a lot better. It's more coherent. It's very straightforward. It's these two people back and forth. He's telling her about the deals, like recreating them. So like he goes to China and meets a Chinese oligarch and he says, you know, oh, uh, you know, I'm happy to do business with you. Uh, my father is Joe Biden, vice president. What, what can we do here? What can we make work? And eventually the oligarch is just like, oh, well, here, here's a diamond. And he's Hunter Biden opens the case. It's a great big diamond worth $80,000. And the guy also says, and here's three credit cards, each a limit of $100,000. And, you know, Hunter's like, OK, I think we can do business. And then the stripper walks into the scene, him with the oligarch, and he stands up and turns to her, and she's like, so is that really how it happened? 
He's like, oh, well, technically he sent the diamond to my hotel room and then mailed the credit cards to me a few weeks later. But you get the point. So, you know, okay, the scene didn't really happen. That's him recreating it. And that style, the way it's done there, that's good. That's something out of Wolf of Wall Street. That's That feels very straightforward and it has the same tone throughout all the following scenes. There's the scene after that that follows where he's like, you know, she's like, how are you able to get all these business deals? And he's like, I have a superpower. And it cuts to him meeting another oligarch who doesn't know who he is. And he's like, hi, uh, my name's Hunter. Let me introduce you to my father. He snaps his fingers and Joe Biden rushes into the scene with a superhero cape around him because he said he's got a superpower. And he says to the oligarch, he's like, this is my father, Mr. Vice President Joe Biden. Joe Biden, Mr. Vice President, this is my friend. This is my father, Joe Biden, Vice President of the United States. I'm his son. He's my father. Like he repeats it multiple <laughs> times. And the oligarch is like, he bows to Biden and everything. And then he has a line of oligarchs lining up to meet him, to meet him, to shake Joe Biden's hand. And then Joe Biden exits the scene really fast with the superhero cape. And, and like, it, it's funny. It's funny. It's, you can tell it, it's as long as it's all in Hunter's mind as he's recreating it to this stripper, it works from a storytelling standpoint. And it also works historically because some people may question, like, again, why is he opening up to this random stripper? But Hunter Biden actually did that. We have, of course, the most infamous video from his laptop. He and this prostitute are on a bed together, like naked. They just had sex. He's smoking crack, and he's recording on his webcam. He recorded himself, the idiot. And he's telling her everything. He's like, I met this one guy who's the spy chief of China. You know, I'm getting all these deals. I make all the deals happen. Like, he's talking about this to random strippers and random prostitutes. So that's historically accurate. I'm surprised they didn't work that video into the movie. They could have shown that at some point. I'm surprised they didn't do that. But again, it's very well done. And the story ultimately culminates here. We're getting to the climax here. Um, he talks further about his Chinese business deals and mentions one company he worked with that was involved in surveillance technology. And he says the name, and the stripper is like, wait, that company? And he's like, yeah, why? And she's like, I know about that company. And she then reveals she, uh, her parents were missionaries to China, and she traveled with them when she was a kid. And she was familiar with that particular type of surveillance technology, the cameras in the streets. And there was a Chinese woman that she had met there who basically became like her aunt. You know, she became really, really close to. Uh, but she was a political dissident who eventually got disappeared. And she's like, I know that surveillance technology played a part, and that's how they keep their population under control. She's probably dead now, Hunter, because of the people you did business with. And he's like, oh, it's not a big deal. And, and she's like, no, I'm sorry. I can't be here with you anymore. I have to go now. And, of course, he's all devastated. He's like, no, stay. Please stay. He's like, I love you. And she's like, you don't love me. You only love what you can't have. All you ever crave is that which is just out of your reach. So then she leaves, and he's all devastated. Um, and then she later, of course, again, going back to her character, she calls her father as she's driving away from the house. And she's like, dad you know like first time she's talked to him in years and at the end she's shown reconciling with her father so like that to give her a bit of a character and a personality and a backstory it it i get where they were going for but the problem is they introduced this a little too late into the movie for us to care because again gina carano is more the pov character for the first half of the movie so if it had been the whole movie is just hunter and this stripper it i would have been invested enough and it really would have had an impact i get what they were going for but again the pacing of the movie between the first and second half is just that questionable to me but I, I think again weaker in the first half really strong in the second half I see what they were going for and it could have been so much better uh so that's that's the basic plot um I I think uh, Jacob I, I'm gonna let you go ahead and take it away I think I know you've definitely got some thoughts here now that we've covered the basic plot the actors and the cinematography what do you think about overall the movie and the impact it could have should have versus what the creators were hoping it would have 
Well, overall, it could have been a lot better because I, I'm not a fan of breaking the fourth wall at all. I, I don't think that you should interact with the audience from the movie from the narration standpoint. It would have worked out much better if they would have had the Gina Carano character start out narrating the movie. You know how it is. I'm trying to think of an example, but you'll have you'll start out with a narrator who will recount past events and will break in throughout the movie and narrate to the audience. But you don't see the character and they're not turning and looking at the camera. It's just narration going out, going throughout yes. the movie. That would have worked out a lot better if Gina Carano had been off screen just simply narrating past events. Like Ray Liotta and, and Goodfellas, for example. Yeah. Another thing is the the very first scene on the Black Lives Matter protest. The viewer comes away from that a little bit confused because they use the scene. This is they use the line. This is a mostly peaceful protest, which everyone knows is, of course, as you mentioned from that CNN shot where the where the interviewer or the the cameraman is saying this is fiery but mostly mostly peaceful. That is, of course, from 2020. Mm-hmm. And then the movie shoots back to 2019. At first, I was thinking, okay, are they just trying to bash Black Lives Matter and forcing this scene in there just so they can get a shot at BLM? Because that's kind of what you come away thinking. And it's not till later in the movie that you kind of connect the dots with Kitty being there and being the mm-hmm. stripper and her being the lead, basically the second most important character after Hunter. So they could have done a much better job. They, should, they shouldn't have mentioned, they, sh- they didn't need to take the shot at CNN. They could have just left out the line that it's fiery, but mostly peaceful. Yeah. Um, another. Go oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, because also at the end there, you know, they mentioned again, the, the news coverage they have in the movie, which is uh, it's 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 not. They show a little bit of clips of Fox News here and there, like when she's watching, looking on her iPad, looking at more information. But the main anchor they use is like some is an actor just doing like a generic news anchor role. And they have just generic graphics on screen at the end of the movie. I forgot. So at the end. Um, the woman, of course, the stripper, she reconnects with her dad and then she gets in contact with the New York Post about like what she knows from talking to Hunter. Uh, she, she ended up getting one of his laptops. Like she leaves with his laptop. I forgot about this, but she goes to someone at the New York Post and talks about it. But the New York Post guy is like, you do know what you're going up against, right? Like the whole media is on his side. Like this isn't going to work. And she's like, you know, the truth has to be out there. And then she has, I, I guess it suddenly cuts to news coverage from this generic news anchor of Hunter Biden being arrested for multiple crimes and Donald Trump winning re-election. And then, of course, it cuts back to the stripper in her bedroom. She's like, ah, well, that, that's just a fairy tale after all. You know, it's, it's a shame that, you know, what should have happened ended up not happening. Like, like, the truth didn't come out and didn't change history as it should have, basically. And then she goes to reconcile with her dad. But then, And then the end of the movie, this is where, again, another thing about towards the second half of the movie that's better is that during the credits, they play the real videos. They play... Because they do reenact some of these scenes in the movie with the actors, but they play the clip of Biden at a campaign rally saying, you know, China's not bad, folks. Come on, man. They're not our competition. They're good people, folks. They play the video of, of Joe, of course, infamously admitting, you know, boasting at some like uh, foreign policy forum of like, you know, I got that Ukrainian prosecutor fired. I said, if I, I'm leaving in six hours, you're not getting the billion dollars. The prosecutor's not fired. You're not getting the billion dollars. Well, son of a, he got fired and everyone laughs. They show that video. They show real news coverage from a real channel of hunter of the confirmation of hunter getting a stripper in arkansas pregnant you know dna testing confirming he was the father you know they hinted that in the movie as well um they they show this stuff so showing the real stuff at the end that was good like that obviously when you show the actual footage like you do in any biopic of a historical figure it works but again that's that's one more reason why the second half is really good but the first half just felt like it was like you said it kind of plays a little bit with the audience's uh knowledge like it assumes the audience probably knows more Mm -hmm. than the average person should and that's kind of a problem if you want to reach a broader audience act like your entire audience knows nothing act like your audience never heard of the new york post story that they don't know anything about hunter biden they don't know about the laptops they don't know nothing assume they know absolutely nothing that should have been the first approach i think 
Well, and that kind of goes back to the reason they're making this movie to begin with. When you've got a budget of $2.5 million and it's crowdfunded, you obviously are limited in what you can do, which is why they filmed the movie in Serbia, because it's cheap. But you've got to think, okay, do we want to make a movie that's for the 4 or 5 million people who know all about Hunter Biden, who watch Fox News religiously, who read Breitbart, just so we can get their money and make this movie profitable? Or do we want to gamble and try to make a movie that's going to reach the masses and red pill people? And they made a calculation that they weren't going to be able to reach the masses, and they really just preached to the choir throughout the entire movie. No person is going to watch this film who is murky on the details and walk away thinking that Hunter is a bad guy and Joe Biden's a horrible president, just because everything in the movie is are just tropes that they've heard on Fox News and from right-wing media. A good example is whenever Tyrone is sitting down there with Kitty, and they're talk, they're discussing the news and she mentions that she can't find anything negative on joe biden he says well that's because you're using google mm-hmm. the average person is completely unaware of google censorship they just don't know the stuff because they don't read breitbart they don't read about you know they don't read fox news or other right-wing news sources so that that just doesn't come across well and a lot of the the one-liners a lot of the, the tropes that are given throughout the movie like you said it's basically just repeating what people on the right have heard over and over again and it's like corn pop. And, um, Joe Biden brings up corn pop in his conversation with Hunter. Well, it's it's basically like you get a bunch of, a bunch of older retirees who are Republicans who like to bash Joe Biden, the Democrats, and you you gather up their jokes and you put it, you throw them in the movie at random parts. And a lot of it's forced. It's just not natural. Exactly. Yeah. And again, that comes down to ultimately the uh, the script writing. You know, the, the writers of the movie that uh, again. They have the great material to work with here. You, that's the the great thing about the Hunter Biden story, the real story. It's too good to be true, but it is. He actually did film himself boasting about his foreign deals to prostitutes on his webcam, on his own computer. You've got all the material there. It's the charisma, everything. It's all there. You just got to make it presented in a coherent story and that's why, again, one POV character is important. I get the importance of having Gina Carano in it. I get it. She's obviously the most famous name that's associated with this movie, certainly in conservative media. But to have her be the narrator, it, again, the first half, it's it's divided even further. In the first half, Gina Carano does half the narration, and then this bouncer Tyrone does the other half the narration. And well, and who's this bouncer? He's, he's a side character. He's only there for that little bit of narration he does. And then he's literally in the background, you know, being the, 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 the muscle, the heavy that he's supposed to be just lurking in the background. What, he's what? basically— He's basically the stereotypical token black man that conservatives have to insert in their films, in their articles, in their political campaigns. I mean, it, it's it's a meme, but it's kind of true. You know, the left argues, well, the conservatives have to have their token black person, and that's kind of the role that Tyrone plays. The fact that his name is actually Tyrone, too, like the most generic, like, I'm sorry, the moment they said <laughs> his name is actually Tyrone, I'm like— Oh my God! Like, but but again, we don't. Like, they're not even trying at this yeah. point. Right, but we're not invested in that character. He's not a character. He's literally exposition. Uh, Gina Carano's character. I mean, that's one more thing. Earlier in the movie, like uh, towards the opening, it opens with a dramatic like aerial shot looking down on a pool, and a guy dives in and swims the pool, and it's Joe Biden swinging the pool, and Gina Carano is there as the Secret Service agent, you know, just turning away, you know, politely not to look. He is wearing swim trunks. But she's acting like he's naked because, of course, that's a story that Joe Biden would swim naked in front of female Secret Service agents. That's also true. That's actually been confirmed as well. But – and, of course, she then looks at the camera just like, uh, what we have to put up with. So you could get a little invested in her character, but realistically, viewers are more invested in her for the actress than the character. The only character you could be invested in is the stripper, is Kitty. You know, She's a blank slate fictional character but they build in this backstory but with her father and then of course you know her parents being missionaries and the china backstory you could make a character that you can care about as as the pov character so then it works both ways great exposition 
and still invested in the story, still a part of the story, as opposed to a random nobody doing exposition just because he can, like Tyrone. And I do want to put comment on Kitty's relationship with uh, her father. So allegedly her parents were missionaries to China mm-hmm. and she became a stripper. So this is this is obviously the producers making the calculation that it's more important to get people who care about the Uyghurs to watch their film than it is th- than worrying about offending Christians with the idea that they've created this character who's the child of Christian missionaries in China and then ends up becoming a stripper. You can create a character like that if you develop her character from the very beginning, like show from the beginning how her father is maybe a devout Christian and she is a wayward daughter and there's this this tension and friction between them, but they don't even delve into that. So it, it and also the forcing the Uyghur situation into the show, it's very obvious that they're simply trying to appease Chinese dissidents with that. Because as we know, Chinese dissidents have spent a lot of money on American right-wing media over the past three to five years. Getter is funded by a Chinese billionaire. So, and Breitbart, of course, went all in on the whole Uyghur situation long before that was mainstream news and Fox News. So it's it's really forced and it's really obvious what they're doing. They're just trying to throw a bone to billionaire Chinese dissidents. With that in mind, it is kind of surprising, too, that considering they t- – I mean, looking back at the timeline, obviously, that you know the Ukraine war hadn't happened yet. But yeah, there is none of that like uh, emotional appeal with the Ukrainian corruption. But then with the China corruption, they'll turn around and say, oh, yeah, yeah, there's you – know, you should feel bad for these people here. Um, and of course, yes, what's happening to the Uyghurs is terrible within that context, but that it doesn't do anything for – the broader story, especially considering, again, Kitty says the woman she met was a Chinese woman. It's not like the woman she met was a Uyghur Muslim. It doesn't even connect mm-hmm. there. It was just she was a Chinese political dissident who got disappeared. So to throw in the Uyghurs, yeah, it feels kind of like, and yeah. So what this does is it bring it ropes in the Chinese dissidents who are ethnic Han Chinese at the same time trying to keep the ethnic Uyghurs on their side in the film because it was crowdfunded $2.5 million dollars. We don't know where that money came from. We don't know who gave the bulk of that money. So it does kind of raise questions when they're forcing this Uyghur and this Chinese dissident situation in. Yeah. So overall, um, looking back on this movie, because it's important to look at the context of this movie. And like like I said before, conservatives are starting a more unified or I guess I should say simultaneous rather than unified, a simultaneous front in the culture war in making movies. Of course, you have you have different models. You have, of course, the Dinesh D'Souza model of making just documentaries. He makes documentaries, whether it's, of course, the movie that put him on the map, 2016 Obama's America, or his most recent one, 2000 Mules, about election fraud in 2020. And then on the other side, you have the Daily Wire model, which is just make movies like Hollywood would, except they're being made by Ben Shapiro. So they made a movie about a school shooting. They just did a Western movie with Gina Carano. They're going to be doing a superhero movie with Carrie Elwes, which looks absolutely horrible from the trailers, by the way. Um, So this movie is trying to be somewhere in the middle. It's not a documentary. It's not, you know, based on a Peter Schweitzer book. You know, it's not like a Clinton Cash thing, which is just straight. We have our experts here to look into the camera and inform you of the facts, which that can be effective. Obviously, 2000 Mules, I saw it. It's a very good uh, documentary. Our mutual friend said the other night that he saw it and he thought it was very convincing proof of voter fraud. So do- those documentaries can be useful. They can be effective, especially the Dinesh D'Souza ones that are very well made uh, in collaboration with the producer Gerald Mullen, who works with him on a lot of those who Gerald Mullen, of course, previously did some production work for the Jurassic Park movies. He worked with uh, uh, Steven Spielberg. So he's a, he's a Hollywood guy. So the Dinesh D'Souza documentaries that are very well made. On the other side, you have Daily Wire, just basically trying to make movies that you wouldn't know this is made by Ben Shapiro, but that's why if they're really good, then that could put conservatives on the map in movie making, which 
kind of defeats the purpose when the movies end up just being mediocre by all accounts as all three of them are or, or preaching to the choir. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the I remember watching the critical drinker on YouTube do a review of the uh, Western with Gina Carano, Terror on the Prairie. That's what it's called. And he said, you know, even the Daily Wire asked me to review it. And, you know, it's not it, it's not great, but it's not terrible. Like it doesn't do anything spectacularly, but it's not horrible either. So, like, that was the consensus on that. The school shooting movie, Run, Hide, Fight, which is basically just die hard in a high school with this little blonde girl as your John McClane. So it's take that for what you will. It's a, it's a ripoff of the Die Hard formula. From what I heard, that was also pretty mediocre. Oh, another thing about the Run, Hide, Fight trailer. The, so the father and the daughter, they're going out and they're hunting. Apparently, the, he, this, the father who teaches the daughter how to shoot and all that yes. is the, the blonde girl. So they're going hunting. He shoots a deer and he mentions that if she keeps, if she increases her ability to shoot, that they'll be eating venison all winter. And when I heard that, I was thinking to myself, nobody, no one, literally no one refers to deer as venison. They refer to it as deer. If you go deer hunting, you shoot a deer, you you kill a deer, you take it home, you skin the deer, and then you eat the deer. And so it was so obvious, like they're trying to appeal to middle America, you know, real America, heartland America, who actually people who fish and hunt and hike and all that stuff. And the coastals who created the script, they don't even know what real heartland Americans refer to as the four-legged animals that they shoot and cook. So that that was just so off-putting in and of itself. That's right. Yeah, that's what happens when, you know, Ben Shapiro tries to make a movie, you know, for normal people being Ben Shapiro, Mr. Ivy League raised in wealth as he was. Um, So, again, the point being, you have the end of the spectrum, two ends of the spectrum. You have Dinesh D'Souza documentaries, Daily Wire movies. My Son Hunter by Breitbart is trying to be somewhere in the middle of that. So it is presented as a dramatized movie in the style of Hollywood hits like Vice, like American Hustle, like Wolf of Wall Street. But it has the facts and it's going to list the facts kind of documentary style, I guess, in terms of informing the viewer. Like it's, you know, it's actually informing you about real world events to the backdrop of actually telling it through the lens of a story, you know, telling you a story with, yeah. you know, character driven story and whatnot. So well, in that regard, I feel like they, they reveal too much. Like they do try to make it too much of a documentary. It would be better if they piqued the viewer's interest and made the viewer want to go look up those facts on their own after yes. they got through being entertained. That's right. That's right. Cause that's the thing the, the movie starts off the very beginning of the movie before anything else, it starts off with the words on screen that says, you know, this is not a true story. And then the next screen, except for all the facts. So, like, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek way of saying, like, oh, yeah, this is real, but some people don't want you to know this is real. Go look it up for yourself, that kind of thing. Oh, but be careful of Google. Like you said, the line of dialogue that hints at Google's bias. So, in conclusion here, uh, looking back on the movie as a whole, uh, again, let's recap. The things that are to be praised about the movie. Lawrence Fox's performance as Hunter Biden, he's brilliant. The scenes where he's breaking down, talking about his past trauma and failing to live up to father's expectations, living in the shadow of his dead brother, all that humanizing hunter biden that is all well done the portrayal of hunter biden is good the cinematography especially during all the party scenes and then you know the the way they handle some of the business deal scenes especially the chinese ones that's all very well done visually it's very well done uh the treatment of hunter like i already said uh and again the second half when it's hunter and the stripper and being told from her perspective as she's you know getting an inside look into his life as he retells the stories and then ultimately the the working into it of a story and a personality, a backstory and a personality and a character for this woman. So she's not just a POV character. That is well done, if not done a little too late. So I would say the first half does drag it down a little bit too much. The inconsistent narrations between Gina Carano and Tyrone, the inconsistent style jerking back and forth between different scenes and different settings. I would give this movie, I think I would lean towards maybe a 65 
maybe a seven if I think more about the really, really good stuff. Um, I think 2000 Mules was certainly a better conservative movie, if I'm being honest, and that's just a straight documentary. Um, but that that's my review. Would I rec recommend it? Again, to people who already know about the Hunter Biden stuff, there's better sources. There's better concise summaries of the story out there. You know, the New York Post reporting of Miranda Devine. She's the one who originally broke the story. You know, that, that in-depth investigative journalism, I could link to a number of articles by um, I don't know, The Federalist or others that really cover this stuff well in long-form articles. Is this movie going to be to inform anybody who already knows? No. Is this movie going to inform people who don't know? It will technically, but again, in a manner because the storytelling is not great in that first half, it's kind of so inconsistent all over the place. The viewer, average viewer will lose track of like, oh, wait, oh, what's this one? Wait, where are we again? Like, it's it's kind of hard to follow. So I, I'm i not sure. I, I genuinely don't know. Again, I've given my rating, and that to me is my – that's my final verdict on the movie there. What say you, Jacob? I'll, I'll give it a five. I'll give it a five flat just because I feel like it, it – I mean, I agree with everything that you said about it, but also it, it doesn't really know what it wants to do in terms of audience. And unfortunately, well, I take that back. It seems the, the director, Robert Dobby, seems to be shooting directly for the Breitbart common, uh, the person who comments on Breitbart articles, which honestly, it's not a very large swath of the population. It's basically people who have already made up their minds on everything. And they just want to see a movie that's going to shoot their own jokes back at them. So they can laugh along with things that they laugh about with their buddies, and it it doesn't really accomplish anything. And basically, it's just looking to make its money back. That's that's kind of the impression I get. The movie is just trying to recoup its 2.5 million, maybe make another million or two on top of it. So I've got to give it a five flat. The acting. The only reason why I don't give it a four is because Lawrence Fox does such a fantastic job playing Hunter. I have to feel like his performance is just on point. And it's the same way with the Elvis movie. I mean, the the acting Austin was Butler. great. Yep. The script. Yeah, Austin Butler was great. The the screenwriting and the directing was not great at all. Exactly. Well, I, I, okay. So I think we disagree on the direct. I thought the directing, as far as the cinematography goes, the visual look of the movie is great. I think the problems we talked about, like the first half, that to me is purely the script writing. I think again, I think Robert Davi did a fine job directing it. It's just whoever was the screenwriter for the movie. Uh, again, that first half so could have been a lot better. If it was even, if it was again, the second half was the whole movie. Hunter Stripper. I'm telling you my story. She occasionally walks into the scene to remind you that I'm simply telling her story. Th could build up her backstory earlier on, like her relationship with her parents, whatnot, that would have been, that would have made this movie easily like a solid, I think, 8.5, maybe even a 9. And one last thing that I want to, I do want to point out, I know I've been kind of uh, crapping all over this movie, but one scene that I thought was really cool was whenever Kitty is in there with Hunter and the hotel, the hotel guy comes in and says, hey, we've been getting some complaints, you need to leave. Mm -hmm. And Hunter is like, hey, here, just take a tip. It's like, I don't want your money, I want you to, live, to leave. He throws in, he said, your credit card was declined. And Hunter <laughs> pulls out, he's, oh, credit, my credit card was declined. He pulls out like 10 credit cards and starts throwing them at the guy yep. pulls out cash it just throws money at the at the guy so i thought that was a really well done scene. that's right yeah he throws the credit one cards a few one, good ones he throws the credit cards one by one and then as the guy's just he does the curt nod like okay i'm not getting through this guy he turns to leave then hunter throws a wad of cash and says and don't forget your tip and the guy turns and looks back and then just like shakes his head and walks away and again that perfectly captures you know that's the kind of scumbag he is but again in between the emotional scenes like you understand where he's coming from but you also see that he's kind of a bad person. And that is what makes a great nuanced character. It, again, it would have been so easy to make him out to be a one-dimensional, again, House of Cards villain like Joe Biden in this movie. But they make him a character. They actually humanize him. And it's true what has been said. The greatest villains don't think that they are villains. 
And that, again, encapsulates how perfectly I think they handled Hunter's character. And again, with Lawrence Fox's performance, that was great. So in the end, so uh, overall, overall, we give it a six. I give it a five. You give us give it a seven. So I guess we could we could say that we give it a six evens out basically. Yeah. An average review, uh, average rating of six. But it's up to you guys to determine for yourselves if you don't want to just take our words for it. Uh, the movie is available at mysonhunter.com. It is out now. Uh, you can purchase it for yourself. Make your own conclusions. If our word is not the final word that you ultimately wish to seek. Again, we know some of you guys do take our words, and we hope to continue to earn more of your trust when it comes to other movie reviews in the future because we do plan every now and then on doing more movie reviews and other pop culture-related episodes as part of our grand, as, as the Joker would say, aggressive expansion. We've got a lot in mind for you guys here. We've got a lot in store for you in the coming months and as we finish our election coverage. And, of course, going into 2023, going into our second year. And that, unfortunately, is all the time we have left for this episode of The Right Take. Thank you guys so much, as always, for tuning in. Be sure to follow us for all of our latest content at our website, righttakepodcast.com. The full list of social media websites and podcast platforms where we are available, righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. And as always, if ever you guys are feeling oh so generous and want to continue supporting what we do here at The Right Take, righttakepodcast.com slash support. We'll talk to you next week, guys.